0: SECTION 1 OF THREE YEARS IN EUROPE, OR PLACES I HAVE SEEN AND PEOPLE I HAVE MET. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY JAMES K. WHITE. THREE YEARS IN EUROPE, OR PLACES I HAVE SEEN AND PEOPLE I HAVE MET. BY WILLIAM WELLS BROWN. LETTER one departure from boston the passengers halifax the passage first sight of land liverpool liverpool july 28 on the 18th july 1849 i took passage in the steamship canada captain judkins bound for liverpool the day was a warm one so much so that many persons on board, as well as several on shore, stood with their umbrellas up, so intense was the heat of the sun. The ringing of the ship's bell was a signal for us to shake hands with our friends, which we did, and then stepped on the deck of the noble craft. The Canada quitted her moorings at half-past twelve, and we were soon in motion." As we were passing out of Boston Bay, I took my stand on the quarter-deck to take a last farewell, at least for a time, of my native land. A visit to the old world, up to that time, had seemed but a dream. As I looked back upon the receding land, recollections of the past rushed through my mind in quick succession. From the treatment that I had received from the Americans, as a victim of slavery, and the knowledge that I was at that time liable to be seized, and again reduced to whips and chains, I had supposed that I would leave the country without any regret. But in this I was mistaken, for when I saw the last thread of communication cut off between me and the land, and the dim shores dying away in the distance, I almost regretted that I was not on shore. An anticipated trip to a foreign country— appears pleasant when talking about it, especially when surrounded by friends whom we love, but when we have left them all behind, it does not seem so pleasant. Whatever may be the fault of the government under which we live, and no matter how oppressive her laws may appear, yet we leave our native land, if such it be, with feelings akin to sorrow. With the steamer's powerful engine at work, and with a fair wind, we were speedily on the bosom of the Atlantic, which was as calm and as smooth as our own Hudson in its calmest aspect. We had on board above one hundred passengers, forty of whom were the Viennese children, a troop of dancers. The passengers represented several different nations, English, French, Spaniards, Africans, and Americans. One man, who had the longest pair of mustaches that mortal man was ever doomed to wear, especially attracted my attention. He appeared to belong to no country in particular, but was yet the busiest man on board. After viewing for some time the many strange faces around me, I descended to the cabin to look after my luggage, which had been put hurriedly on board. I hoped that all who take a trip of so great a distance... "'may be as fortunate as I was "'in being supplied with books to read on the voyage. "'My friends had furnished me with literature "'from Macaulay's History of England to Jane Eyre, "'so that I did not want for books to occupy my time. "'A pleasant passage of about thirty hours "'brought us to Halifax at six o'clock in the evening. "'In company with my friend, "'the president of the Oberlin Institute,' I took a stroll through the town, and from what little I saw of the people in the streets, I am sure that the taking of the temperance pledge would do them no injury. Our stay at Halifax was short. Having taken in a few sacks of coals, the mails, and a limited number of passengers, we were again out, and soon at sea. After a pleasant run of seven days more, and as I was lying in my bed, I heard the cry of, land ahead although our passage had been unprecedentedly short yet i need not inform you that this news was hailed with joy by all on board for my own part i was soon on deck away in the distance and on our larboard quarter were the grey hills of ireland yes we were in sight of the land of emmet and o'connell while i rejoiced with the other passengers at the sight of land and the near approach to the end of the voyage, I felt low-spirited, because it reminded me of the great distance I was from home. But the experience of above twenty years travelling had prepared me to undergo what most persons must lay their account with in visiting a strange country. This was the last day, but one that we were to be on board. And, as if moved by the sight of land, all seemed to be gathering their different things together, brushing up their old clothes and putting on their new ones, as if this would bring them any sooner to the end of their journey. The last night on board was the most pleasant, apparently, that we had experienced, probably because it was the last. The moon was in her meridian splendor, pouring her broad light over the calm sea, while near to us, on our starboard side, was a ship with her snow-white sails spread aloft, and stealing through the water like a thing of life. What can present a more picturesque view than two vessels at sea on a moonlight night, and within a few rods of each other? With the gentle breeze and the powerful engine at work, we seemed to be flying to the embrace of our British neighbours. The next morning I was up before the sun, and found that we were within a few miles of Liverpool. THE TAKING OF A PILOT ON BOARD AT ELEVEN O'CLOCK WARNED US TO PREPARE TO QUIT OUR OCEAN PALACE AND SEEK OTHER QUARTERS. AT A LITTLE PAST THREE O'CLOCK THE SHIP CAST ANCHOR, AND WE WERE ALL TUMBLED, BAG AND BAGGAGE, INTO A SMALL STEAMER, AND IN A FEW MOMENTS WERE AT THE DOOR OF THE CUSTOM HOUSE. THE PASSAGE HAD ONLY BEEN NINE DAYS AND 22 HOURS, THE QUICKEST ON RECORD AT THAT TIME, YET IT WAS LONG ENOUGH. I waited nearly three hours before my name was called, and when it was, I unlocked my trunks and handed them over to one of the officers, whose dirty hands made no improvement on the work of the laundress. First one article was taken out, and then another, till an iron collar that had been worn by a female slave on the banks of the Mississippi was hauled out, and this democratic instrument of torture became the centre of attraction so much so that instead of going on with the examination, all hands stopped to look at the negro collar. Several of my countrymen, who were standing by, were not a little displeased at answers which I gave to questions on the subject of slavery, but they held their peace. The interest created by the appearance of the iron collar closed the examination of my luggage. As if afraid that they would find something more hideous, they put the custom-house mark on each piece, and passed them out, and I was soon comfortably installed at Brown's Temperance Hotel, Clayton Square. No person of my complexion can visit this country without being struck with the marked difference between the English and the Americans. The prejudice which I have experienced on all and every occasion in the United States, and to some extent on board the Canada, vanished as soon as i set foot on the soil of britain in america i had been bought and sold as a slave in the southern states in the so-called free states i had been treated as one born to occupy an inferior position in steamers compelled to take my fare on the deck in hotels to take my meals in the kitchen in coaches to ride on the outside in railways to ride in the negro car and in churches, to sit in the negro pew. But no sooner was I on British soil, than I was recognized as a man, and an equal. The very dogs in the streets appeared conscious of my manhood, such is the difference, and such is the change that is brought about by a trip of nine days in an Atlantic steamer. I was not more struck with the treatment of the people, than with the appearance of the great seaport of the world. The grey appearance of the stone piers and docks, the dark look of the magnificent warehouses, the substantial appearance of everything around, causes one to think himself in a new world instead of the old. Everything in Liverpool looks old, yet nothing is worn out. The beautiful villas on the opposite side of the river, in the vicinity of Birkenhead, together with the countless number of vessels in the river, and the great ships to be seen in the stream, give life and animation to the whole scene. Everything in and about Liverpool seems to be built for the future, as well as the present. We had time to examine but few of the public buildings, the first of which was the Custom House, an edifice that would be an ornament to any city in the world. For the first time in my life I can say I am truly free. My old master may make his appearance here with the Constitution of the United States in his pocket, the fugitive slave law in on one hand, and the chains in the other, and claim me as his property. But all will avail him nothing. I can here stand and look the tyrant in the face, and tell him that I am his equal. England is indeed the land of the free, and the home of the brave. End of Letter 1 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista